Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Felix Bauer. Uh, he's a co-founder of a company called Aircloak. It's a privacy solution for uh, online usage. So, Felix, how are you doing today? That's right. Felix, how are you yeah, today? Thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah, that's great. All right, well, tell me about uh, uh, Air, Aircloak. What does Aircloak do in specific? Yeah, um, so at Aircloak, we, we enable organizations to, to analyze and monetize and really work with any kind of personal data uh, in a completely safe and, and legal manner. And um, we can do this with our unique approach to anonymization. We developed that together um, with the Max Planck Institute for Software Systems. Um, so that's part of uh, one of the biggest research societies in Germany, a little bit like the German uh, MIT. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what we did. Oh yeah, can you go a little bit more in detail? Tell me about uh, what aspects of online privacy need to help, and you know how has this recently uh, maybe changed with the GDPR updates? You know, on data collection. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, we started this actually in 2012, so quite a long time ago. Um, but even back then, we sort of realized, hey, there's, you know, there's a few really important topics of the future, and I, I do believe that, you know, one of the, I would say, top five topics maybe is, is privacy. Um, we have, uh, we're creating more and more uh, data everywhere in our lives, and um, and analyzing that in a in a privacy compliant way, in a safe way. In an easy way, I think it's going to be um, you know, one of the most important things, uh, sort of uh, questions or hurdles that we that we face today. And so that's what we're trying to to enable um, with Aircloak. Um, our product is basically like a proxy that sits in between a database and an analyst, and it allows that analyst to work with uh, sensitive data um, of any kind. Um, so currently we're working in banking or in, in medical uh, with telecommunication uh, uh, companies. And the analyst can go and query this sensitive personal database, um, but all the outputs that they're getting is anonymized in full time, uh, in real time. Um, so this means that um, it's a way to unlock data sets that have previously been blocked because of uh, because of privacy regulations, um, and, and make them really useful for for nearly anyone. And um, yeah, that's I think I think it's a really, really important topic to tackle. And thankfully, with the GDPR. Um, People internationally have noticed um, the importance of this as well. So you may be aware that it's a European law, but actually it applies to companies worldwide as long as they have users in Europe. Mm. Um, and I think it led to a little bit of rethinking internationally of what, what privacy means. Um, it's, it's quite funny. I, I talked to um, you know, many people in this domain, and uh, one, one cool comment about this was in the U.S., yeah. uh, personal information is an asset, and in the EU, personal information is a right. Right. And so there's, so far, there's a bit of a, um, uh, I would say, a, a culture uh, difference there, but um, I do believe that it's, it's getting more and more um, equalized now over the globe. In the EU, we have this GDPR law, and I think that, that also in the U.S., public is becoming more and more important. Um, and, yeah, so that's, that's good for us, but I do believe it's, it's good for anyone. Well, let's back up a little bit. So what's an example of a sensitive database, and how could you work on it? Where it's anonymized, but yet the data is still useful to you to work on. Right, right. 
So, so maybe maybe let me give you an example um, for why this is important. We we work with a um, with a major bank in, in Germany, and so these guys have obviously a wealth of information. I mean, imagine what kind of information sits in your financial data, right? They know where you're traveling, uh, how you spend your money, uh, whether you're good at uh, distributing your money evenly over the month or not. Uh, what car you drive, how many kids you have, uh, based on, you know, your, your support. Um, it's, it's crazy how much information is in this data. And so obviously it has to be highly protected. Currently, um, there are pretty strict regulations in place for who can, who can look in this data and who cannot. Mm-hmm. So at the bank we're working with, for example, you have a marketing department, you have strategy development, and these guys are really interested in what this data say, but they're not supposed to touch them in the raw form. So, um, this is where we come in, right? We, we install the software on premise. We don't have to touch the data ourselves at all. And it just allows people, analysts in the organization and without, uh, and, and outside of the organization, um, to, to dynamically work with this data and really pull the full information out of it, but without actually having to touch, um, first information. So they're not going to be able to say, hey, this is Richard who just bought the big car. Um, but instead they'll be able to say, uh, hey, you know, people in this age group or, or with that uh, profile in general are buying big cars. Um, okay. And so this is, this is immensely useful and, and a very legal way of dealing with the data. Well, it's good. It's great that it's so useful, but yet it's, uh, right, it's not down to this specific user level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously, I mean, not all use cases can be, can be reflected like this. Um, sometimes you do want information down to the user level or sometimes you want so-called pseudonymized information where you don't have the user name, but you have some other, you know, unique identifier for him. Um, but but in many cases um, that we see, actually, anonymized information works, works super well. And why is it so great? Because um, according to, for example, the GDPR, so the European Privacy Regulations, um, anonymous information falls completely outside of the scope of that law. So that means once you've anonymized them properly, you can do with this info literally whatever you like. You can share it with a partner. You can monetize it directly to a marketing agency or to research. Um, uh, you can uh, you can use it internally, externally. It, it doesn't matter, and for any use case. And this really means that that's why I use the word unlocking. I like it in this in this instance because yeah. it really means you can free the data. Hmm. So what um what about the owners of the the database of the data? Who what kind of entities would those be? You know, where they can have the data, but yet, uh, I mean, even within your own organization, is it possible to have data that no one really knows who is who is in the database, but yet the database still has integrity and the information matches the right, you know, uh, entries? Yeah, yeah, it's funny that you would mention that because actually, um, up to 2016, we had a product that was basically what you described. So a database where no one could look into, it would contain personal information, and then you would only be able to query it um, through our anonymization layer. Um, now, th- this included a hardware part, and we've actually since uh, completely scrapped that system, um, this, this hardware part of it, because it turned out to be very, very difficult for a startup to, to sell. Um, but, um, but yeah, this, this, that's possible in principle. Um, I think more likely it's a setup um, that we see a lot, is that an organization has the data, and then yes, uh, anyway, in its raw form, but only for very specific purposes. So what I just described, the banking use case, that's exactly one of those. 
the bank has a transaction data set and it needs that data set because it's giving uh, people certain services, right? Transaction, they, they, can, they can send money, they can check, hey, how's my account, whatever. They need all this information in the raw form. But then there's lots of secondary use cases which actually have nothing to do with this first one. And from a privacy perspective, this is really important. Um, there's a purpose why the data has been collected. And all purposes outside of that first one are actually not necessarily covered by what the, by what the customer um, signed when he said, yes, I give you my information. Sure. And, and so this, these secondary use cases are the ones that we, that we enable. Now, we also have setups actually at the moment where the database is fully encrypted and there's really nearly no one that can access it. And everyone just goes, uh, goes at it through airflow. I will do have that in a, in a medical um, setup right now. Um, but um, so the usual use case is one where the data exists and is used in a raw form and additionally also in uh, anonymized form by all kind of other entities. And I guess for certain data, let's say like you said medical data, um, certain people would have access to it at the individual level, like let's say a doctor that's treating somebody, but everyone else could have access to it at the uh, at a general level that's anonymized. Yeah. Level. Yes, you're absolutely right. Exactly. This is a, this is a fantastic example. Um, sometimes you want the, the raw information and need it for certain use cases. Um, but yeah, as you say, you know, for example, you may not want a pharma company to know exactly what you've been doing at your doctor, um, but you may uh, want to enable them to get, uh, you know, aggregate information about the whole population. And they can do that um, in a dynamic data set like this in real time, um, uh, automized with our, with our system. Well, what do you think about um, people that have come out with ways to de-anonymize anonymize data? You know, are, there, are the methods out there pretty strong, or are they, you know, who's winning the race there, or is this, is it an arms race to anonymize and de-anonymize? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it certainly is, and it's becoming um, it's becoming more of an arms race now, because, uh, you know, there's suddenly there's more money in this market to the game. Um, it's pretty interesting, so... Um, I guess true anonymization is actually defined by um, uh, is defined by if you need uh, a, a disproportionate amount of work to de-anonymize it, so to re-identify the data. If, if the amount of work that you need to do this is just so much higher than what the data is worth, then that that is counted as anonymized. So that means that actually even the legal, uh, the, even the lawmakers uh, appreciate the fact that. Um, there's no there's no 100% security. Not even an anonymization. You, you cannot expect that. Mm. But you can say this is made so safe that just getting back to the raw data is is just quite much work to be worth it. And that's, in a way, that's the same principle that many IT security uh, systems work, right? Also, encryption, uh, data encryption, is, is not 100% safe. It's just incredible amount of work to get it back to to its original, so uh, to boot for uh, to it. And um, yeah, and, and in a way, it's the same. It's the same in, in the privacy space now, um, uh, with many, many approaches. There are many quite weak approaches out there, which can be easily um, uh, re- re-identified. Um, and that's mostly the case with pseudonymization. So, um, if you, for example, had a data set and you say, "Well, I'm, I'm just going to remove the names out here, and I'm going to replace uh, uh, the email address with another unique identifier." Um, that's a classical approach for pseudonymization, and, right. and this is something that can be trivially uh, redone. Um, true anonymization uses a lot more sophisticated um, processes. Um, it's, it's in a way a statistical approach um, that will make sure that there's no combination of any data set that could identify someone, 
that you cannot use an external data set to overlap these two and then find out who is who. So um, it's, it's usually a lot more um, secure, and that's also what gives uh, lawmakers in the, in the EU the, uh, I guess, the idea to say, yeah, this is, this is fine, and truly anonymous information is actually not personal anymore. Um, so you can you can use it for, for any purpose. Okay. Hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, no, no, no problem. So I know you don't want to give away, obviously, how, you know, exactly how it works, but what can you say about how your technology works? What are some of the features or the general method in which it does uh, the anonymization? Yeah, um, this, is, this is actually um, pretty tricky to explain. Um, but, in fact, I can um, give away how it works, except probably not on here because it would completely um, be too much for the podcast. But um, there are papers online about how to do this. Um, we've actually released our, um, our approach, and, and you can look through this. And, and make sure that, you know, this is actually a good way of going about things. Um, but, um, the way that, uh, the way that we do it is really, um, by, uh, looking at the query that an analyst writes. Uh, so, not we, but our, our software looks at the query that an analyst writes. And it looks at how the data in the backend is distributed. And then it will, um, it will see based on the query and based on the distribution of the data what is actually identifying and what not. So, Let's say you were um, you were to say, hey, I want um, the uh, a heat map. I want the position um, in heat map form of all people called Donald in the United States. Right? Mm. So the system would see, hey, you know, there's like I don't know how many two million Donalds. So um, it's probably totally fine to give you that heat map. Uh, two million is probably too much. I don't know. I haven't looked it up, but <laughs> you can get a heat map. Right. That is really that is that is really anonymous, right? But but if you say, hey, um, okay, give me a heat map of the Donalds um, in Washington that also works, you know, in, in the government, uh, you might suddenly have broken this down into a very small number of people where a heat map will probably give you, you know, information about single individuals that you might not want identified on there. Mm-hmm. And the system sees, based on the fact that, oh, this is not suddenly a very small group or um, maybe they, they are distributed in a way um, in the city that it would be easily uh, identifiable to say, hey, there's this one guy in the White House. Um, and um, uh, so the system recognizes that and makes sure that the you know, outliers aren't, um, aren't seen, that the single individuals aren't seen, that everything is sort of grouped together in the right way. Right. And that is all done in real time. So the analyst asks a query and a completely standard uh, SQL database query. And the system does all the thinking in the background and just gives them back a fully anonymized answer. And also tells the analyst um, whether there has been any distortion in there, um, roughly how high that is. Well, how does it know, um, you know, if you made a series of queries trying to zero in on something, you might be able to still get get an answer. You know, if you looked at it, like you said, the first name, then you looked at it a different way of income, and you looked at it another way, and, um, yep. you know, it, yeah, how, does, how does the system know, first of all, when... You get you would get a result back of too few individuals, like you know, is there a certain number threshold, or how does it know if you're making right. multiple queries to try to zero in and triangulate something? Mm, right. So, so first of all, yes, there's there's a, there's a threshold in, in group size, so you would not be able to get um, uh, reliable information about a group size of I would say roughly five. It depends a little bit on the, on the use case. Um, and then there's also a tiny bit of noise added, and this noise is is, um, is important to make sure you can't overlap this with the result of other queries, and then um, figure out sort of the, the cross section, which is exactly you know uh, the Donald that you've been looking for. Sure. Um, so so this is a way, and, and then there's actually a ton of additional uh, measures to make sure you cannot uh, single out individuals. 
there's a crazy amount of possible attacks on a system like this. It's, it's, it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um, and so what we've done is we launched something we call the, um, um, the Airflow Attack Challenge. Um, so we're, we're the first ones worldwide who launched a bounty program for an anonymization approach. So we've uploaded our systems, you know, we, we hosted it somewhere, we host the databases, and we say, hey, if you manage to identify people in this database, um, you can also use your own data set region. If you manage to identify people in there through our system, we pay you money. And so this way, um, we invite people from all over the world um, to actually try and hack our system, and fantastically it works. We've had attackers from everywhere, even even from MIT, um, really the brightest minds, you know, that look into the space, and they go ahead and they run all kind of crazy machine learning on this and bombard our system with hundreds of thousands of queries per day. Wow. And, and this way we find, we find, um, we find weaknesses. Um, actually, they have been uh, two attackers so far, the 33 million attack queries that have been run and, and two attacks that, um, actually led to, um, a leak of, uh, personal information, even a small one, but still. And we fix it, you know, we pay these guys money and, and we fix it and, and that's the way we do it, yeah. It's a very, a transparent and open way, I think, of going about it as well. Yeah, no, that is great because who better than to to battle harden your system than than hackers that you know may want to steal data otherwise, you know? Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, well, all your work, you know, when you look at other people online that are trying to be anonymous, um, or other people that are doing similar things, what's the state of data protection out there? Is it terrible? Is it pretty good? You know, it seems like every every few months, you know, there's a massive leak of data. So, I mean, what's your opinion yeah. of, of uh, you know, how data is collected and stored and protected right now by commercial enterprises or governments? Yeah, I, a lot of the stuff that's happening is pretty haphazard, to be, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think um, one problem has been that um, data collection, or maybe data analytics, has been growing so much in the last year. And data protection hasn't grown at the same rate, right? The technology uh, development in one field has completely overtaken um, the other field. And now is the time suddenly when people are trying to think, and they're like, well, you know, maybe we should do this whole, you know, privacy by design in the first place, think about this from first principles, and how can we actually make our approach anonymous. But this one is starting now. There's a lot of misinformation out there, um, even amongst um, privacy professionals. I really have to admit that. Sometimes you have conversations with people and and you think, you know, this guy's like the head of a work group that is uh, working in privacy and he has no clue what anonymization means. And sure. that's actually pretty scary. Um, but a few years ago, you needed, you know, little more than a firm grasp on the, um, uh, on, on the legal background in order to be able to gauge whether a system is anonymous or not. And that's the way it works. Now, um, you need high-level uh, high mathematics. You need uh, you to be really good in, in computer science. You need to have a really deep technical understanding to gauge a system. And and I think this, this has just changed tremendously. And that's why we do this attack challenge as well. Um, so, yeah, to, to get back to your question, I think there's, there's a lot of problems. Um, many people don't realize how dangerous their, their data practices are. Um, and, um, and, 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 they, and they treat... Um, databases as safe that, that really truly aren't. Um, so, you know, when this Equifax thing was, um, oh, yeah. like, uh, last year? Was it last year? Yeah. Or earlier this year, last year. Yeah, so it was pretty pretty funny to hear for, for me, at least, because um, obviously the social security numbers are, are, 
um, a huge risk if they come out. But um, there's so many databases out there that identify people, you know, uniquely, and, and they don't even know it. You can identify more than uh, 60% of the U.S. population if you only have their, their zip code, their birth date, and their gender. That's mm-hmm. all. You don't need you don't need a social security number or or a credit card number or an email address or anything. These three points of information are enough, and that's something uh, I think I think how how good our our analysis is today, um, how easy it is to work with data, and how easy it is therefore to identify people is is not known to most of us. Um, and that's okay for the general public, but the ones in in, in power and in, in control they should they should really be a little bit more careful. And thankfully, this is now. It's not changing a little bit. The, the process are changing. Uh, people are thinking about this more, and we're getting calls uh, from 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 everywhere in the world, from Japan, Australia, Canada, U.S. You know, we're, we're talking with really uh, people that are far, far away from Germany, um, and and they say, yeah, you know, we want this system, we want this to be safe, and and that's great. Well, I feel like you know, I've had my my information stolen several times over the years, and it, it seems to me that if a few hackers got together and you know, shared the databases of information they've taken over the years that they probably would have the entire U.S. population, you know, because of all the different hacks of, you know, like you get it, these hackers colluded and, and said, oh, I've got this, I've got that, i got this. I mean, it seems like, you know, everyone's information at one time or another has been taken. I don't know what your yeah, opinion I, of that is. But. I I suspect this exists. Um Probably not by you know a private uh, hacker group, but certainly by people that are more professional. Um, I think there are some people that are very thankful for the amount of information that's out there, <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm not sure they can be they can be they can be stopped. But um, yeah, I, I I do think there's there's a certain amount of danger. I, I don't think we need to overreact um, to this either. I think. Um, Know, uh, as I said before, a certain um, knowledge of the of the issues at hand has been spreading um, to everyone, and people are aware that you know uh, Google is collecting a lot of information. We just recently had this, this revelation that uh, Google also tracks your location, even if you tell it not to, on your phones. Um, so, yeah. so all this stuff is getting better known, and and I think technologies are being provided to to avoid this. Um, also, the large organizations that we trying to do the right thing. Apple has been taking a um, a very conscious stance for privacy. So I I do think that's okay. Um, you're right, probably. Yeah, people can identify individuals um, if they really try to. And then the question is always on what what do they do with this info? Um, right. Is it is it about you know stealing um, uh, identity theft or what is they going to do with it in the end? But yeah, the danger is there. I bet. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about Aircloak Solutions. Who are they for? Are they for small companies or large? Um, you know, and how yeah. how would a company that's listening, let's say, use this for their data? Right. So, um, yeah, we've been honestly marketing this mostly to larger organizations so far, but um, we just opened a product line where we um, actually have a lower price model for uh, for startups or for for small medium businesses and even for non-for-profit organizations. Um, but so far, this has been mostly for larger organizations simply because they have the most pressure and um, they also have the budget, <laughs> um, which for a startup is a bit of a bit of an issue. Um, uh, doing B2B and enterprise sales is, is not super easy, but um, but yeah, we, we think it's, it's valuable. Um, and yeah, so how, how this works is really, even if it's a small organization now, you come to us, you say, well, this is my problem, and 
usually what we'll do is we install the software um, on premise and um, in your in your network. Um, if your premise happens to be in the cloud, that's okay. Yeah. But um, oftentimes it's actually in house, some data center where you have your data. And separately install it. We don't touch the person data ourselves at all. It all stays under your control. And it's an automatic system that can be set up in, uh, we, we had under one hour even, uh, customer setup, so that was, uh, fantastic. Um, and then they can just start running queries. That's, um, it's pretty simple actually. They don't need to know how anonymization works. Um, they just do their database queries and get results that are anonymous. That's it. Hmm. Okay. What about a company that, um, would get financial data for payments, but for some reason they're not able to run it through, uh, an online system? You deal in that realm, or is that you know, that's not really covered by what you do? Yeah, so so actually, our focus at the moment is on the financial um, uh, field. So that's that's okay. uh, pretty well known um, problem for us. Um, if you say like when you say payment, so that a payment provider, someone that offers like a wallet, or what, what are you? Well, yeah, let's you know like if you're going to accept uh, payments for stuff. I know there's PayPal, there's credit cards, etc., but. What if for some reason the process of taking in the, the information would normally be manual and it just for some reason doesn't work to send people through, I don't know, the, the payment processor system? Do you have any, um, any online forms that take in the data, anonymize it, but the financial data can be used to make payments to a company, let's say, over a period of time? Right, right, I understand. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't do it that way. Um, we wouldn't. Provide such an online form. Um, that's usually something that you know the customer would do themselves. And um, the data is collected somewhere, and it can be uh, masked before if that's necessary. So you can you can do classical pseudonymization or data masking on it. But it, it will be collected in some database, and then we provide a layer on top of the database um, that does the anonymization when the database is being queried. Um, that's the way that we would that we would go about it. Does that make sense? And response to your query? Yeah, or if I have data that I want to, you know, let's say I have, I don't know, 10,000 customers, and I have data on all of them, and I have a database, but I worry about it being hacked. Is there a way to, you know, add a layer of anonymization right. on it so that it's resistant to anyone outside trying to break into the database? Right, right, right. So if your, if your database is getting hacked and um, you're, you're dependent on actually keeping the raw information in there, then obviously we wouldn't be able to help because uh, there's no information itself. One additional layer of safety that I mentioned would be to to pseudonymize it or to mask it first. So that that doesn't that doesn't actually make it like completely safe, but um, it adds a layer of protection. So if you say, well, yeah, this database exists, and but I but I replace all my um, all the user IDs with a one-way hash, for example, and so people can't really like easily figure out who's who in there. And um, that's the first way of making it a little bit more secure, and Echo can easily run still on top of that. Um, but what we wouldn't be able to do is protect personal information against um, uh, someone that's hacking through your IT security. Um, that's that's not like, through your your through your firewalls and then that's that's exploiting your system like that. We wouldn't be able to protect against that in principle. Um, we would be able to protect against someone that has access to our layer. Um, and that can query your database um, through Aircloak, through Aircloak Insights, that's the name of our product. Um, mm. These people will be protected against, so malicious analysts, but also analysts that are not malicious and that just don't know what they're doing and, and you know, inadvertently <laughs> query, um, query personal information. Uh, it's also protected against those, of course. But at least you could reduce, you know, the attack surface. If, uh, if you have a large organization with, I don't know, you know, 5,000 people, 
you, it sounds like you can reduce it to where only, you know, uh, five to seven people that have the, the root level access, you know, maybe those you right. can't uh, protect, but everyone else you could make sure that, uh, they couldn't be attacked inadvertently. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And in, in, in a, in a way, that's actually, I think, you know, a bit of a vision for where this could be going. I would think that in three years, uh, if you have to work with sensitive information, with personal data, I, I, I hope that you, the first thing that comes to your mind is, hey, can this be cloaked? Can I, can I use AirCloak on this? Um, because that would be the easiest, the safest, the fastest way of making it happen. And only if that doesn't work, and as I said before, it won't work in all use cases, you know, then you actually access the raw information. Um, and that would be a fantastic way of going about it because, um, well, yeah, because everyone would be safer that way. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, very good. Last couple of questions. So what's ahead for the next year? You know, what are you coming out with? Yeah, what's ahead for the next year? So as a, as a company and as a spin-off from a research institute, um, we were quite uh, technically focused so far. You know, most of like a bunch of nerds working on the system. And <laughs> so now, really, what we're currently growing Airclock into is, a, is an organization that's much better at, at business development, at sales, at marketing. So this is all stuff that we're currently adding. Uh, we've been joined by a fantastic guy who's uh, now our head of, uh, head of um, sales, you could say. Uh, he used to be a CEO uh, himself, and I've done this before. So um, that's great, and I'm really looking forward to pushing it out to um, – on different verticals. As I said, at the moment, we're, we're, in, the, we're in the financial um, space, mostly in, in the German-speaking region, um, but we also have, have um, a couple of customers internationally in that space. And I'm sort of hoping to really grow the speechhead to really make us um, a prevalent and, and uh, ubiquitous uh, solution in, uh, in Europe, um, and, then, and then grow from there, from the financial um, space especially. Um, I... I also really hope that we'll be able to grow a little bit more in the, I would say, common good direction. Um, so uh, our vision is a little bit that we that we enable um, responsible use of personal data for the good of society. Mm-hmm. So this this new product line that I mentioned before for NGOs or for uh, for research that that would be free and that would just enable them to to to, to really work with data. Um, I think that's something that I would also really love to to grow and. Um, Bring it more to universities, um, really, yeah, to to create a fabric um, that enables countless new use cases with with data. Well, very good. So, what's the best way for uh, companies and people to get in touch? Website, um, phone, email. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go to our website www.airsoc.com, um, or write an email at solutions at airsoc.com, or you will probably find some phone number somewhere as well that <laughs> you can call. Um, <laughs> Super happy to get in touch. I think you guys probably have uh, audience mostly in the U.S., right? Yeah, right. Most of the U.S. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this is super exciting, and I, I think um, I'm I'm really really interested to uh, to hear what people have to say um, and and how this how this could be useful for you guys. Um, I I do believe that um, there's growing consciousness for this topic in the U.S., and um, I would be really happy to to help out in any way we can at Airflow. Well, that's great. Well, Felix, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for having me here. And uh, yeah, I hope this was useful to you guys as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, 
virtual reality, and more. 